0: DMs, have you ever felt like banishing a player to the astral sea for insisting your rule interpretation was bogus?
1: Players, have you ever felt frustrated that a 19 on a perception check only tells you that there may or may not be something there?
0: Humans, tired of being literally the most boring race in D&D?
1: Then this
0: is the podcast for you where we take a hard look at the rules of the game, the reality of the table, and the role of the dice to solve D&D's most heated
1: arguments. This is Raw and Order. Dum Welcome back, everyone! Welcome, welcome, welcome back! We're so excited. Yay. Episode 7? 7, seven. Yes. seven. Wow, that's uh,
0: seven episodes.
1: Yeah, that is. <laughs>
0: In case anyone, <laughs> that's all
1: we had to say.
0: <laughs> clarification,
1: and that's a wrap. Cool, so. cool. See you next week. Um. So, Joe, what's going on? What's new, Pussycat? Oh whoa, dear. Whoa, whoa. I am
0: not a Tabaxi, even though I play one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we just had a session last night with our guest, who's going to be on Clint, who is our DM, and I play a horny tabaxi. This oh, is God, I, you I, do. <laughs> I, I like. She's amazing. I fucking love her. I
1: mean, Joe's character is so horny; he should be a freaking tiefling. Oh, oh, oh,
0: my oh
1: that was so funny.
0: <laughs> I cast silence on Anna. Um, uh, so. I think, I don't know if this is true for you, but for me in d and I truly feel like all of the characters I make are parts of my personality. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, just, just isolated, but like they all really truly do have some deep connection to something. And maybe this is like getting, you should have a psychiatrist come on. <laughs> but, um uh, but I do feel like this is definitely my. Just my sassy, slutty... This is like if I were doing drag again. This, this would be like my persona. Mm-hmm. Um, I, of course, would just take on a southern accent in all aspects of life. <laughs> and uh, just go for it. Um, but yeah. Uh, so last night we just had a fun little session where she basically was...
1: Just trying was to sleep with everybody. and
0: Specifically, two halflings. Yeah. Which the way... Although I will blame... Clint, for this, the way that we communicated in Thieves' Camp because she's a rogue is by like him hitting on her, yeah, and her obviously reciprocating. Like, yeah, she doesn't care if it's halfling dick, it's dick. She's gonna get it. She's gonna get pussy. She's gonna get dick. She's gonna get all the <laughs> things because she she's, wants everything. She's, she's a it. pan. She is. She's, she's pansexual. Here for it. Yeah. She's very open. um And I thought the ending to that session where they were just like drinking rum and laughing while you were, (laughs) while while your character... While I'm (laughs)
1: making short jokes at the poor halflings.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And they were really funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, and you tried to steal an enslaved uh, creature.
1: Tried to? Oh. (gasps) What? Huh? Who? What? What? Don't check my jacket pocket. What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And lawful evil okay um uh yeah i li- okay it is so fucking cold oh my god i don't know where the expression colder than a witch's tit came from i'm I sure i've never somewhere.
1: fucking heard that expression never what are that? you talking about you never heard that it's no i've never a- heard that
0: i'm almost positive it's the that
1: that can't be hold on. are you gonna google uh, that, it are you Google uh, yeah. it <laughs> colder than a Witch's tit? Is that what you said?
0: Yeah, the first thing that comes up Wait, okay, hold on. There's first it says colder than a witch's, just plural witches, not possessive. Then it says colder than a plural witch's tit in a brass bra? Why would a witch's tit be any colder than any other person's tit?
1: I don't know why a witch's tit would be colder. I can understand why the tit would be colder in a brass bra than in a regular bra.
0: Right, but why why a witch as opposed like why not just say I don't know, a Joe, tip?
1: you're the one that made this up. <laughs> I did
0: not. <laughs> okay, now there's whoa, okay, wait a minute. Oh wait, don't. okay.
1: Don't this go is Googling tits right now, okay? <laughs> Our listeners can't enjoy with you. You're just yeah, being is, cruel. I apologize
0: for the, all the... We're never going to win a Nickelodeon... Uh, <laughs> Kids' Choice a, Award. Kids' Choice Award. This, says, this one says, Colder than a witch's teat, catch her in the rye. So I think that's where it ah. comes
1: from. Oh, well, um, teat, sure. That, that yeah. there it is. The
0: phrase... Oh, no, no, it's tit. Colder than a witch's tit is was used during very cold weather because the reference to the cold blood and skin... Oh, cold That's dumb. they're not witches are What blood. the hell? Right, they're not cold blooded. They're not dying. well, maybe they are. Um, a few sources quote that a witch's tit supposedly left a mark a marking that witch hunters and courts would look for on the body of an accused. What? Wow. Do you think that
1: witches killed people and then left their tit marking <laughs> behind? That yeah, was their ace of spades, that was their calling card? Okay, a DMs out there's tit marking.
0: You now have a new quest for mm-hmm. your players: the the case of the the titty witcher, the titty witch, <laughs> the, titty the titty witch. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you, my pretty little titties. And she flies them around on a broom with her boobs out. I'm totally here for it. Yeah, of course you are. Yeah, and my tabaxi would probably try and sleep with her. So. Anyway, that is a phrase. I did not make it up. I am not perverse. Cool, cool, cool. I just don't know why a witch's tit versus anyone else's.
1: Well, now tits. we know because evidently they're like amphibians or something right. with cold that could, blood that
0: leave <laughs> that
1: leave marks on their, leave the bodies tit of their shaped victims. marks behind. I would just it- be like, look, there's like a target. Someone I thought you meant like a, like a target, target store,
0: no. and I was like, "What is that?" Oh have look, to do with this a
1: Target in the distance. <laughs> I have some shopping to do. Just kidding. It's All a witch's cool. tit. <laughs> Gets me every time.
0: <laughs> every time a witch kills someone with her boobs, a target appears. Yeah, Target's like, okay, we're going to stake out this territory. <laughs> Let's go. Who needs to do some shopping? Who wants a red card? Gotta show us your witch's tit first. <laughs> this is terrible. Why are we talking what, about this? This was the weirdest well, start
1: to also, an episode
0: we've had so far. This is, guys. This is what happens when Anna and I don't discuss what we want to talk yeah. about first. <laughs> you get, you get witch boob jokes. Okay. <laughs> but here's the question: Is it tit, just the nipple, or is it the entire breast?
1: No, it's because the, it's, it's the whole breast. So the
0: whole breast leaves a mark. Maybe like it's an imprint
1: there's just like as, a chess mark as my friend sandy likes to say tits a bit nipply outside <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god well it and is that okay. is true all that is to say that it's literally right now it's three degrees um, real in feel Iowa, in des moines with a wind chill of negative 14 uh-huh. which is lovely um, it was supposed to be negative 17 today with a wind chill of negative 34, but it did not get that cold. Thank God. Um, so we're di- we're literally dying, swift and cold ah, deaths.
1: Do you have any idea? Swift. I mean, you do because you also have a dog. But my wow. dog is
0: so fucking bored.
1: <laughs> I because we, we can't go on. My W-A-L-K's. dog is bored and also is like so sad every time we have to go outside because she just dreads it it's so fucking cold outside i'm moving to hawaii i'm taking her with me
0: Clyde will go out but then he comes right back in and wants to go and like like whines at the window and i'm like dude the second we get out there you're just just gonna be cold again yeah yeah popsicle 100 and then i'll have to you don't have little coats
1: for your doggo little winter coat
0: he does but it's I I don't want to go. I don't want to go out. So I'm not going out in negative 14 wind. No, no, I know. That's a no. I don't have a backyard where I
1: can just release her either. I have to take her out every time. Oh God, it's terrible. That's gonna be
0: that's a no from me. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, well, hey. Why delay? This, yeah, this the is inevitable. enough of the absolute nonsense. Shooting the shit here.
0: <laughs> I'm glad that we finally learned where that phrase came from, and I'm glad you learned it was a phrase. Because I am too. I'm really happy. Now I, I like it.
1: learning new things. Yeah, and uh, which you can is use tit. it
0: in in oral arguments. Yeah, um. <laughs>
1: you know, last week you we know. talked about how I used Damocles' sword in an oral yeah. argument. And next week you, uh, I'll come back and say, yeah, I argued in front of the Supreme Court, and I said. <laughs> You know, this <laughs> This guy left her colder than a witch's tit, your honors.
0: <laughs> are you going to let him get
1: away with this?
0: <laughs> I was subsequently sliced off by the sword of Damocles. Yes. Just to, and just then, to bring everything and in. And
1: then a target appeared. <laughs> 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 okay,
0: well. All right, let's get our guest in we're, here so we we're can at truly least pretend sorry. to be a
1: little bit more sane than we are doing <laughs> um, right now.
0: We're truly sorry. We have some great discussion topics today. We do. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, we will. Uh,
1: let's let's bring them in. Let's bring them in. All right. Hey everyone, it's Justice Anna here. I am thrilled to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Game Masters Merchant. DMs, are you feeling strapped for ideas for your campaign? Are you looking for something to help bring the excitement of sessions gone by back to your table? If so, then you're really going to want to pick up The Deck of Many Things by Game Master's Merchant. The Deck of Many Things is beautifully crafted and an extraordinarily powerful set of cards set in the D&D universe that is sure to reinvigorate your players and take your campaign to the next level. The deck is printed on sturdy cardstock and features original artwork. The deck is available on Etsy, eBay, and will soon be available on Amazon. But wait, there's more! If you use the code RAW10 on Etsy, you can get 10% off your purchase. Did you hear me just now? 10%! Just use the code RAW10 on Etsy and you get 10% off until March 1st. Get these cards, breathe life into stale campaigns, and enjoy the Game Master's Merchant, gmmerchant.com.
0: Oye, oye, oye! The Honorable Chief Justices Joe and Anna, and Visiting Associate Justice Clint of the Supreme Court of D&D. All persons having business before this court are admonished to draw near, give their attention, and pause the impeachment trial, for the court is now sitting.
1: Welcome, Clint! Yay! Yay! Clint is uh, DM to both. Joe you have and I. to say
0: hello because people can't yeah. see you. Oh yeah, <laughs> he
1: waved everybody. <laughs> That's how audio media works. <laughs>
0: Welcome. We're so happy to have you. We've met. I think we've talked about either you or one of the games that we're playing in all of the uh, episodes we've had thus far. Um, yeah. So why don't you uh, uh, sort of just give us a little explanation of how you got into D and D and tabletop games?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, so actually my, uh, my association with fantasy is actually pre-literate. Um, so when I was a kid, so I grew up in a farmhouse and, uh, you know, <laughs> we had an actual wood furnace and it, it, in middle earth. Yeah. It <laughs> gets there. It gets there. Is it? So, you know, like any place where you need to keep things like dry, uh, for an extended period of time, you just put it in that room. And every year after we would, you know, bring in the woodcut, Um, my dad had this big box of these old 1980s fantasy novels, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever seen the covers of like a Tor publishing book uh, from that era. They're just amazing, right? Oh, I imagine, yeah. Yeah, so I just remember one of my earliest memories is just spreading out those paperbacks just on the floor and seeing, you know, like the Two Towers and, you know, the Cimmerillion and all of those things. Um, And so that's just been part of my experience before i could actually read the words in them um mm-hmm. and uh so that sort of has pulled me along to my uh, my first exposure to D was a long time ago toys r us was a thing that still existed and they hadn't quite <laughs> found out what they wanted to do with themselves and they sold these boxed sets uh that they were like these original dnd boxed sets that i think they were produced in like 1992 um and it just had three modules that came in each set with like a mat and little stand-up figures and stuff. And so that was my first exposure. Um, I did a lot of playing in college um, with a third edition, Pathfinder, and then um, fourth edition, which no one talks about for a reason. Um,
1: I just assumed they skipped it, actually. I didn't even know there
2: was a fourth edition. <laughs> just like, it's it's the one in which we do not speak. So, yeah. But, you know, I, I did actually, you know, play a campaign in fourth edition and it was not D&D, uh, but it was something. It was interesting. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and uh, so I, uh, I DM'd and um, played as a player pretty consistently for an extended period of time. Um, going to law school, you know, there's a different shift in environment, and so kind of I dropped off there. But, you know, um, I was able to kind of get back in. I'm now DMing two different games, of which both you are more players. Uh, and so yes. that is where I am currently at. So that is my background uh, and credentials uh, for this topic. <laughs> Lovely. And what,
1: what, about the, what about the law half of you? Um,
2: so I currently work uh, at a criminal law boutique firm, um, although we do a lot of civil rights and civil litigation as well. Um, so it's really interesting. We're kind of a smaller firm, so we're more agile, um, and there's a lot of real crazy stuff um, in in like criminal law, it's a very active field of practice, so. Mm-hmm. Especially on the defense side, yeah, you get a oh, lot yeah. of, uh, oh dear, yeah.
1: Did you get your brief in last night?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, so I did. Uh, that is the other thing, is that there is a lot of, you know, like, this needs done now, because, you know, like, if it doesn't, someone loses, like, their, like, 20 years it, right? of their Literally. life, right? So it's important work that yeah, yeah. kind of takes, takes precedent over, you know, like, Hanging out with your friends and pretending to be a dwarf or something. So, yeah. But, <laughs> I, I disagree, but, but we <laughs> did it and <anyway>. I digress. <laughs> I digress. Sorry, yep. hmm yep. um, so that's me. Awesome. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, we're not going to do cases today. We're just going to do topics. Uh, yeah, the court's uh, taking a little, yeah, little, just, little break. Yeah. A little,
0: little coffee, but the weather's bad. We'll
1: gab sesh.
0: The weather... <laughs> the weather's bad so the the um, council didn't want to drive to the to the court uh so you know we're not like we're the Iowa here. Supreme Court we don't have a murphy bed in the in the <laughs> appellate chambers that you can use which they really have um so uh yeah we're just going to have some discussion topics and i'm super excited and um
2: so, Joe, we are uh, we're going to enter some supervisory orders is what we're going to do.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Just some administrative house cleaning.
1: Yep, yep, yep. It's all housekeeping today. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. Um the first topic is and I think all three of these were either Mm
0: -hmm. suggested
1: by Clint or
0: or saved for Clint or
1: saved for Clint yes that's right okay (laughs) and so the first topic we're going to talk about is help actions and the guidance cantrip what are the bounds of the help action and does or should a DM have discretion to curb the use of the help action and kind of a similar question about the guidance cantrip when and how can it be used so Clint since you brought us this question why don't you start us off
2: sure yeah and I think um in the most strict textualist interpretation, the help action itself is restricted only to combat encounters. Um, the, the opportunity to assist in an action, um, that is a much broader one. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if we wanted to be like Absolute Scalia, we would go ahead and say that, you know, when it was written... The help action is confined only to when you are operating in those six-second increments. Um, Does it say specifically? In yeah. Combat? Are you sure about that? I, you know, so if you look at the help action, um, so where are we? Let's 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 guide our yeah. readers, our listeners. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, if you look at, hold on. Let's go ahead and get there. Yeah. So it's under Chapter Nine, Combat, and you can go ahead and you. When you look at any set of code, uh, you know, or statute. You have to make reference to where it is actually physically in the code, right? And so under Chapter 9, Combat, that's where you go ahead and you find the help action on page 192 of the Player's Handbook. Uh, so it's Actions in Combat is the subsection in which it's filed. So as a matter of absolute pedantic garbage, uh, I would at first rule that uh, you know the help action can only be used in actual combat. See, I disagree. Even as written, I completely disagree. (laughs)
1: It might be in the chapter under actions in combat, but if you read the language, the very first paragraph is, you can lend your aid to another creature in the completion of a task. When you take the help action, the creature you aid gains advantage on the next ability check it makes to perform the task you are helping with, provided that it makes the check before the start of your next turn.
0: Wow, start
1: Start of your next turn. Yeah, I guess that implies... Mm-hmm. But
0: if you look if you if you're using that canon of such interpretation, I mean clearly you can attack something, you can attack an inanimate object, you can cast a spell whenever you want. you can hide outside of combat. you can search or use an object outside of combat. So I, I quarrel a little bit with that. <laughs>
2: now, now, and I think I think that you know that's that's sort of a, a point that is obviated by the fact that when you make reference to the ability check section, uh, so if we take our, Our our coda, and we go to... um, 175? Yeah, I believe it is 175, which does cover out-of-combat actions. Um, You do have the capacity to, and it's under the title of Working Together. Um, So the the issue that I want to split out here is that the help action allows you to assist in a much broader set of things than merely just ability checks. Uh, So if you take a look at the help action itself going back here uh yeah if you take a look at the help action um it's next ability check and then also alternatively under the help action you can go ahead and help attacking a creature so basically it allows you to perform the phase action have
1: have any of you used that
2: no one campaign? ever does i
1: never have seen this like but you idiots. know what i'm
0: yeah you know what i'm gonna do my familiar in both yes! campaigns is gonna start doing
1: Oh my god, yes! I, when right. I was researching this topic online, that was like the number one recommended thing. for If your familiar problem, isn't helping you with a touch spell, then go get right. them to... The problem
0: is that my familiar they will immediately die. 1 HP. <laughs> you will
1: immediately die. Right.
0: So do I want to spend 10 gold and an hour of my time in-game
2: conjuring, um, you know, a familiar...
1: Sometimes it's worth it.
2: So as, a, as sort of like an entry point, I think... Yeah, sort of an entry point into this topic. I think we need to divide the help action itself from just aiding another in a task. So I think the help action isn't so problematic because it does come with its own set of checks and balances. You have to expend an action in order to give someone else advantage, either on a check or on a combat encounter. Or a combat question attack. though. Yes.
1: You you both are DMs, so the question for you two is: If I were to use my action to say I'm going to faint to try to help them in battle. Would you have me roll something? Would you have me roll like a check of some kind of my own?
2: It appears as an
1: action, or is it is it just assumed that I have been able to successfully distract the person?
2: So if you look at the text, I believe that it assumes. Alternatively,
1: yeah, it doesn't require a roll, but would you require a roll?
2: No, I would not actually. I mean, as written, um, that that isn't the case. And the reason I wouldn't require a roll is because of the pretty heavy cost. Involved Mm -hmm. in providing someone Mm -hmm. with that advantage you forego Mm -hmm. and attack yourself Um, And so and usually statistically that is going to result in a lower damage profile over the turn for the players when you do that Um, It's an interesting tactical maneuver if say, you know, you are a low damage character um, Who is locked in melee combat and the other side of you is a barbarian? Um, even if you hit he's capable of doing far more damage
0: yeah. Or she, or they. <laughs>
2: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Women
0: can be
1: barbarians.
2: That's yeah. true, yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, so that's a good, that's a good tactical use of the help action.
1: I feel like, as a bard, every time I break out into song for bardic inspiration, I should technically be distracting. It everybody.
2: is distracting, <laughs> but
1: very distracting.
0: But that's not an action; it's a bonus action. So yeah. Yeah. fuck off, Anna. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I think I might, I might still ask for an ability check not to succeed on doing it, but how well you do it. Because if you roll a one, like maybe you just run up and like you try and do something, but, you, but like you fart on accident. And that's what distracts the enemy versus you like intimidating them.
1: So, so you'd have them
2: roll for narrative purposes, but not yeah. for the roll actual. Roll to fart. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So so I think that that, that basically tables the health action and that leaves for us, you know, the, the assisting mm-hmm. other, which is covered under um, 175 um i still think
0: this is the same thing it's just this section is telling you how you would do it in combat well because like you can you can like cast a spell all spells have like casting times like one action but but like if you cast it outside of combat it's still just casting a spell so i think I, I think, think the way the that Clint thing. has split
1: that up, though, makes sense, because there's the working together paragraphs in the ability check section. So I think you're right. I think the end result is the same. Yeah, I mean... You right. aid somebody with an ability check,
2: but... We can't look just... at a code of law that distinguishes between two things and puts them under different chapters and then call them equivalent, especially when mm-hmm. there is, you know, that added bit of the advantage on attack, um, which if I read um, yeah, that, 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 if I read uh, the uh, working together, that does seem mm. to apply only, yeah, and they even also reference that uh, in combat, yeah. this requires the help action. So, yeah. what that is, is that the, the working together component is subsumed within the help action, which also includes that added ability to go ahead and give an advantage on attacks. Um, so, I think, I think the help action does take care of any of the concerns that, you know, a DM or a player would have about, oh, shit, I'm basically going to get advantage on literally everything all the time. Right. Right. So in combat, I think that the concerns involved in this question are pretty contained. Uh, you will, as a player, have to expend a pretty significant amount of, you know, fund or capacity in order yeah. to engage in this. Outside of combat, that, I think, under the rules as written for working together, does become fertile grounds for discussion uh, as to how and in what way you can contain all the problems that can come with the fact that a wizard can basically have advantage at everything, um, which, you know, is problematic, I, I think. I, I will go <laughs> ahead, you know, and in expressing my own opinion in these closed chambers, <laughs> Say, I do think it might be a pretty significant problem if any player character with a familiar could potentially utilize the working together action to universally have advantage on almost every ability check. So if like it's not like a player
0: of yours has ever tried that. If, <laughs> this might be why and this their is name the topic. is Joe. Yeah, uh-huh. this,
2: <laughs> this may be a reason that we're discussing this. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: And so I right you know, and just like as how your druid was basically the impetus for our moonbeam discussion. Oh, yeah, like. no, there was
2: some. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so I will. Um, so I want to go ahead. I want to kick it back. Um, you know, Gio, uh, Joe, as you have kind of identified yourself as one of the more flagrant violators. of this. <laughs> I I do want to kick it back to you also, since you know you have you have DM's experience, and then Anna, since you've like worked around this and like experienced it from like a player perspective, uh, what. What, Joe, do you think would be effective limitations that you could put on the help other action? Bearing in mind that as the rule is written, you know, it talks about, hey, if it's like a complex task or you don't have the tools or whatever, how can you use that? And how would you use that to to go ahead and contain this potential problem? So
0: in my games as... I don't know if both of you know this, but um, using the help action requires you to have proficiency in a skill. Okay. Um, I don't know that because. But I don't think you've like. I don't think you guys use help in my games very I'm often. I'm trying
1: to think, but.
0: If ever, right. I, we
1: don't use it very often, but I I think it, didn't know that that was a rule, but that is definitely one of the homebrew if solutions I had come up with. Right. To, to right. If it's this. not
0: in my list of homebrew rules, I'm going to add it because it should be there. Um, Uh, I mean, that being said, I think as a player, I am 110% fine. Like, 90% of the things I ask, I expect the answer is going to be no. And Clint, I think you do a really really good job of trying to appease your players. But, like, just say, no, not able to help and move on. Like, I don't expect that every time that I ask for it that I'll get it. But, like, as a player, I'm going to try, right? Because, like, I want the advantage. Um, So I think definitely limiting it to skills in which you are proficient and it's interesting because in the working together section on page 175 of the player's handbook it says that it says for example trying to open a lock requires proficiency with thieves tools so a character who lacks that proficiency can't help well that's not i mean nothing else in the in the help action or the assisting talks about needing proficiency but it it's sort of assumes it here because if you're not proficient with tools you can still use them you just don't get your proficiency bonus added um so i think unless there's a rule that like you have disadvantage or something i that i'm not aware of um so i i limit it to things you're proficient in and then i limit it just as the player's handbook says if it's something that help wouldn't make sense um then i wouldn't give it and i think a, a good example of of like something that i thought was uh, a fair use. So last night when we played, um, me and our cleric were sort of standing over this dead body, looking over the armor and stuff, and the the cleric asked the question and you're like make a history check and i asked what well, can i assist because i'm i'm there with him we're both examining this body we'd be talking back and forth so we'd have our shared knowledge of whatever and you're like yeah and i thought that was a fair um ruling now do i have proficiency? did my character have proficiency no so it had if it was a rule in that in our campaign then i would have completely been fine had you said no you need proficiency um but as we were playing i didn't even think about it i was more like in the moment in the rp of it and as a dm i mean i would likely stray from that rule if it made narrative sense to allow someone to assist.
1: So my thought, my takeaway on this was I actually think it's overused even in our campaigns because the way that help makes sense to me in my mind is if if someone's trying to like lift something heavy or move something or build something, something physical that's going on, it makes sense that they should have advantage because someone else is helping them with that. But, like, how do you help on an insight check? How do you help on an intelligence check? Why wouldn't they just be two separate checks at that point? So, like, in that history check that you're talking about, it's not like you did a brain meld and now you both have shared knowledge. And so he has advantage on his role because now suddenly he knows everything you know. What would have made more sense is that you both roll because you're saying, can I also roll and use my knowledge of history to see if i know this so that's that's the, where i kind of draw the line of help action and probably it would very much help limit the use of it if it was to something that like physically makes sense that you can help someone with like like unlocking something and, yeah and me having proficiency in thieves tools yeah that would make sense because then i would bend down next to you and be like here let right. me do this right or whatever so yeah. And maybe,
0: and maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe you just had us roll separately. I forget. Um, but to me, as a DM, that there are two and there there's two sides of the you know one side of the what mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin. Um, uh, uh, there are two sides of the same same coin because um, like either one character gets advantage or two dice are being rolled. So you get into the issue of compound checks, which is another topic that I address in my homebrew rules. Which is any time a player is making a check that another player already made, so not necessarily at the same time. But if someone looks around, does really poorly, and someone says, "Well, can I look around?" The DC goes up because, and right. the way I rationalize that is that represents the time, or that represents the the difficulty in finding things that that the other person already found. So mm-hmm. it's it's a harder search. You're looking for more, you know, in depth things.
1: But but if two people say we're both looking around, you can have them roll two perception yeah. checks and, I and do have that. the same DC, yeah. right? Like, we do that all the time.
2: Yeah. I, I I do think, you know, Anna, I, you are correct. Um, there are certain checks, I, I would go ahead and step on a limb and say, are almost per se unaidable. Um So, for example, as you say, like the insight check. Um mm-hmm. as, as insight is written in the book, and I think as everyone sort of conceptualizes it, it's like your gut feeling about a situation. Right. And, and I think that the antithesis of your gut feeling is checking with someone else about said gut feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, again, I think that, you know, that is, that would be a good, you know, like almost never, you would have to provide an extreme narrative reason for me right, right. to let that happen. Um, and I think that that's, that's one method of containing it is that just the, the general difficulty for some checks of ever making narrative sense Um, for being aided, uh, I think does sort of like lock them behind a per se door. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like to quell some of your fears (laughs) about my (laughs) wizard that in, in our ISO and Dale campaign, I'm so risk averse that I'm never going to, I'm never going to put him in harm's way unless I'm really confident that I'm going to kill something or whatever. So I most likely will always use a touch spell and not have them, I'll have him go hide, and then when I need to cast a touch spell, have him run out and dash.
2: I mean, I, you know, Joe, like Icewind Dale is a real tough place. You don't have to, you don't have to avoid harm. It'll find him. Like, right. don't worry. Like, I'm <laughs> oh, coming no, for you. <laughs> oh
0: <No>. boy, <laughs> Mister <Bud Jingles>, no.
2: <laughs> but I mean, no, no. But the, the point is that yeah, um, using the familiar in that way does come with its own you know, risks and, and advantages. Mm-hmm. I, the only real concern I have about a familiar is basically twofold. One, if, if the wizard or, you know, in Tasha's other classes, you know, they want to use their familiar basically to be like, I want to have advantage on all perception checks, thanks. Right? right. And that's just not going to work. Um, mostly, I think one way around that conceptually is that even with the, the shared mental bond, the way that a, a fox or a bat or an owl processes information um, is not going to cross the divide mentally very well. And so in most cases, I would just flat out deny the advantage. Um, and it also doesn't help with a lot of intellectual tasks because owls don't know shit about the history of Faroon, right? Um, like they might be wise, but they don't have like actual academic knowledge, you know? Um, and, yeah, and physical like, tasks and beyond think... them
0: yeah and i think most players should fully expect that to use it in that way they will be told no a lot the exception being like um if you're if you're familiar because this is the text of the spell if you're familiar has keen senses or some ability that gives them advantage um
1: I think Just use them instead. Right, of you. right. Yeah. I
0: think it's fair for a player to, like if you call for a perception check, um, or if the player says, "I want to have my familiar look around while I'm walking," um, and then having the familiar roll and communicate whatever information they find to you. Sure. Um, I think that 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 that's a fair use because the spell specifically says you um, when you're looking through their senses or um, when you're. Like either or well, either scenario. So either you look through their senses or hear through their senses to gain the advantage, or you have them just do the advantage and um, provide the information to you. I think in those situations that's fair. But your familiar has to have those that that keen senses ability yeah. or whatever you're trying to do, and not all of them
2: do. And I think that that leads to the 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 second part, which might dovetail into another topic of ours. That whenever a familiar or a controlled companion or something like that that a player has control of that's not their player character starts to replace the specialness of someone else in the group, you know, at that point, we're kind of like, hey, what's going on here? Um, so, for example, you know, if you have a familiar and there's a rogue in your group and the familiar is the one who's always doing the scouting and the exciting stuff, you know, the skulky things, then, you know, at that point... Yeah, sort I, of... I
1: get the sense that the rogue would be, like, super pissed about that. Yeah.
0: Unless your rogue is the one with the familiar.
2: Yeah. Like in our other campaign,
0: (laughs) which is me. So
1: then I get to do both.
0: (laughs) Sure, yeah.
2: But I mean, so yeah. And and there's kind of this dual balance that comes with, you know, basically community theater plus Excel sheets that is D&D, right? Where we have to have a mechanical balance and also like a balance of what people enjoy in the game.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, you gotta let me use my stealth, yo. (laughs) I'm so excited to play a rogue. (laughs)
0: Um, all right, so now what's your beef with guidance? I think I know what it is, but yeah. I, I want to hear your concerns. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I actually, I'm surprised you have a beef because in our campaign where people have guidance, I'm surprised that no they one don't uses just, it. Like oh, use yeah. no, it, no, no, you guys... all the time, every single ability check. BT Dubs casting guidance. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I mean, and it's so it's not so much a beef. It is that you know, like the potential of abuse is. It's like the Koromatsu case, right? We have left a loaded gun laying on the counter right (laughs) um like the the capacity for abuse is there. very
0: very broad (laughs) we took a leap
1: we're we're on this ride with you go ahead okay
2: yep Yep. but but anyways no so the the point is that um and i think my original pitch was that you know the case name would be like in re paladin stealth check with 37 different buffs um (laughs) because no i mean so Guidance is open to tremendous abuse uh, because it can basically be used for every check. It doesn't have that much of an action cost in the economy. It's just an automatic 1D4. You can just pour it on. And the problem is that at that point, basically, you just have to raise the DCs by two um, in order to keep it balanced if it's being abused to that degree. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, again there are certain things that help contain it. So, for example, it has both a verbal and a somatic component. Um, And I know that in our games, you know, like the verbal component, right, we can get a little bit fast and loose with that. But, you know, it's a verbal component is something that is obviously a magical summoning. It is obviously, like, words that have magical intent. And so I think that that helps, at the very least, with guidance in, say, you know, like social encounters, particularly oppositional ones. Because one thing that I'll do is that if you are trying to convince someone who doesn't want to be convinced or you're trying to negotiate for a price, if someone gives you guidance as the player and you're about to make this check for persuasion, intimidation, deception, that verbal component puts that other party on notice that you are using magic and that pushes the DC up a little bit higher because obviously I'm going to be more suspicious of you as the NPC, right? If I know that you're using magic to convince me. Um, because that's sort of what's inherent in it, right? Uh, so for most social interactions, I do think that the potential problem with guidance is somewhat, uh, you know, muted in the sense that the other party will, in most situations, be on notice about it. And that may adjust the DC depending on their opinions about magic, about you, about fair play, things like that. So
1: Except it's so easy to work around that. Sure, yeah. It- or cast it before you go into the interaction. Oh. And I, I totally agree with you. There's like a huge mm-hmm. danger that this could just absolutely be abused, rampantly be abused. Um, I'm, I'm shocked it hasn't happened, probably because we play with excellent players that have no interest in in kind of breaking our our narrative flow by constantly casting guidance and not having things fail, because that makes for an exciting campaign, frankly, right? Like when you fail at some tasks. Um, right but yeah
0: yeah i could totally see a dm just homebrewing if i call for the roll, it's too late so right th- i mean there's a reason it lasts a minute there's a reason it's a concentration cantrip um it's funny because I, so i agree and and i think it's completely fair to put limitations on guidance because just calling just like letting people add a 1d4 all the time um does get annoying but i agree with anna i don't think i've been in a campaign yet because we play with such conscious players that it's been abused in that way. Um, Have you looked at the peace cleric that was introduced in Tasha's at all? So (laughs) the fucking peace cleric gets, um, okay. So they get a 10 minute long bless and guidance (laughs) up to uh, a number of creatures, within 30 feet of you, equal to your proficiency bonus. You create a magical bond for 10 minutes. They get a D4 to any attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. Um, And it can only do it once per turn. So imagine, imagine having that, that is just, that's like completely replacing the spell bless entirely, which is something that like, which is a fantastic spell. Oh, oh, it's amazing. And granted (laughs) peace clerics are specifically like less strong than other subclasses Mm because they're meant to be more like, I want to help everyone. But yeah, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, right? Like it's, it's all the roll of the dice and a plus four isn't going to change the world, but yeah, it's something definitely that, that you need to watch if you're a Dio.
2: I, I think that you know, as, as things are written, containment has to come not from the mechanics of the rule itself, uh, but from the party that is engaging in it. Uh, so this is much more of a mm. conversation with your players um, and like an expectation of maturity. Uh, although I, I would reserve the right to move it up the spell slot scale, uh, especially if it is being just pretty particularly abused or apply some other limitations to it. I am um, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm not above changing how magic works in my world. <laughs> <laughs> We're aware. Yeah, I consider that to be, you know, pretty much the same as any kind of, you know, backgrounds or anything in published supplements, right? So mm-hmm. the campaigns that I run with you, because I got a full-time job and, and like, <laughs> you know, all that shit... Uh, like, full-time job, wife, my driveway is always covered in snow because apparently, like, we live in Icewind Dale here. Um, yeah, I run out of, I run games out of, out of module books. And you know what? Sometimes I'm going to change some stuff in there. And Magic is no yeah. different than, like, the name of this NPC that, like, I know you guys are going to laugh at. And that's going to break the mood. <laughs> so it's going to get changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So awesome.
1: I love that in our campaigns we like I feel like we go out of our way to interact with everybody. And oh. I feel like you must just be sitting around having to come up with so many bullshit names for all the NPCs that were like, let's go talk to that guy. Let's go talk to that guy. So
2: and I think I think that is a good bridge to the difference between in person and online gaming. Because yeah. one of the things that I have is I have a really dumb matrix style super setup with screens and stuff. And on one of them is just an open tab of random names (laughs) that I have just, I like, I'll just, you know, I'll wake up and be like, yeah, this one's a good one. put that in there. It's not that crazy. And
0: and hence the birth of the shit druid, which we talked about on this podcast. That's (laughs) right.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Uh,
1: But... Well, I, I feel like that's a great segue into discussion topic number two, which I came up with and I'm really excited to talk to Clint about, um, but how does a gameplay differ virtually versus in person and what are the pros and cons of both?
0: Okay, so I we got this question before our first episode and uh, Joe, the beautiful, wonderful, handsome, hunky, I, he just messaged me and said the last episode we complimented him and it was like the nicest thing anyone's ever said, so now going to try it. And- <laughs> trying to outdo myself um the wait what
1: nice thing did we say about joe
0: i said he was a beautiful human or something uh, so the gorgeous um um masculine beautiful
1: voluptuous joe Mosier. i don't know if he wants um, to be described as voluptuous. well guess what too bad it's, wait he didn't pose this question i posed this question no i think he did the virtually versus in person was 100 i'm mean.
0: literally cutting one everything i just said <laughs>
1: all of the compliments to poor joe
0: fuck fuck him (laughs) okay so anna you posed this question and i was so excited and i specifically wanted to wait until clint could come on to discuss because clint i think you do a particularly good job of dming online um which for me was a huge struggle clint you're in my other campaign and uh you know that when the pandemic first hit we, we stopped for a few months, and that's actually when we started Yawning Portal, um, which I, I think you intended from, from its inception to be an online game, um, uh, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I had such a hard time transitioning from at the table to, in, to computer, and now I've finally reached a point where I'm so comfortable that I actually really like playing on the computer. Um, but do you I, prefer it? Well, we can get into that, but um, I want, I I was hoping that you could comment on Clint, like, so why, why was Yawning Portal for you something you wanted to do specifically online? And what do you feel, uh, uh, how do you feel about the difference between DMing, especially online and in person?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think to to provide the, the answer for your first question, why did we do Yawning Portal online? It's because the world was shit. I don't know if you guys are listening to this in 2025, but like (laughs) the pandemic was a thing.
0: (laughs) Um, Clint, people aren't listening to this in 2021. I doubt you're there.
2: Yeah, (laughs) right? Okay. But anyways, no. So the point is, um, uh, so Yawning Portal, what was was great about that is that actually this is related to the pandemic. um, Roll20 partnered with Wizards of the Coast um, and... The first two modules were free. So you just go on, download, and it is all of the maps. It's all of the heavy lifting that you as a DM have to do behind the scenes, right? Like finding the mats, putting the tokens down, setting the DCs, doing all of this stuff. It's all just it comes prepackaged, which made it very attractive to kind of just wedge back in. Um, So that was really why we started that campaign online, um, because, you know, we could... And it was a low time investment, and you know it gave me an opportunity to kind of bridge out. Um, so that's that's why we went online. Uh, why we're continuing to do that, at least from my perspective, is that the online experience has several very particular advantages. If, and this is all based on the very heavy caveat of if the people you're playing with you knew beforehand. Um, so online, I have access to a massive library of resources. If we ever need a rules question, if you guys ever summon some random creature, if some strange thing happens, I'm able to just dig into the token library or quick Google something and drag it over and I can drop it in. If we need to build an encounter, there have been times where I did not have an encounter prepared uh, for one of our campaigns and I made it while you were in the game. And that is just not a thing that I would be able to do on a really successful level, you know, with pen and paper at home. Because, I don't know, so I know all of you guys have seen the picture of all of my my nerd books and shit that's twice the height of my wife. <laughs> oh my god, it's <laughs> insane. Even with that stuff, I just still, I wouldn't be able to be like, ah, here's a battle map that works here. <laughs> um, and, and so that resource, it provides me with tremendous flexibility. It provides me with the capacity to make a better experience for you. Um, pitfall for online playing that thankfully none of us have encountered because, you know, we were a pre-existing kind of forged group beforehand is that playing with randos can be very difficult. And and it's not to, like, besmirch just, like, the random people you find on the internet. Some of them are great. But it's the fact that you don't have that pre-existing relationship that allows role-playing to really be useful, right? So, I mean, like, Joe, we've encountered situations with some of the characters that you've played, where, you know, like, we're, we're pushing up against boundaries that, you know, like, might make someone uncomfortable or create a situation of potential conflict. And, you know, if you just don't have that pre-existing relationship with all of the other people, you're just a box on a screen who's being a fucking weirdo, right? Um, but this way, you know, it's, it's Joe, and we know that Joe is role-playing, and we have that extra context. <laughs>
0: and that Joe is a fucking weirdo, but yeah, yeah, in yeah, this yeah. specific
2: context, he's also role-playing. <laughs> yeah, and the other, the other really important part, at least for me, is that I know in person what your facial expressions look like. And I know how your body posture works, so I can tell, one, whether you're engaged. Two, mm. how you're feeling. And three, what direction you'd probably want this to go. And, you know, I only am able to do that on a flat two-dimensional screen because I've already had that exposure to you as the DM. Um, Basically, all of those deep interpersonal things that allow you to, like, pick and choose and make decisions that are going to, like, make something interesting for somebody else. um, You need all that data from in-person interaction. And if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to do that online.
0: Or at least do it right or at least be as successful yeah. in doing it. I'm, and... I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna choose to be like really, really complimented by this because I have <laughs> never met Clint in real life. <laughs> I am one hundred percent a stranger to him before I started playing in his campaign. Yeah, that is
2: true. You did you did come <laughs> yeah. on board. But but you know, I know I mean that that also does go to um one of the, the like the strengths of like the social cohesion that comes with D D is that I was able to kind of build on the pre-existing foundation and just sort of kind of move you into it. Uh, and again,
1: also, I'm just like a really excellent person. In- <laughs> 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 sure. 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 sure, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Obviously. Um, no, I think that that's, that, that's a really good point. And I don't even know. I mean, like I think you encapsulated it so well that I have a lot of those same uh, concerns and luckily as the dm i get to choose who's in my campaigns and all the people that i picked for all my games i have met in person before um but i recently started one online where i didn't my that pirate game that i started um i only knew heather and jonathan there were three other people who i didn't know and uh it was it was hard to like get in but but luckily they are they're all very they're excellent at role playing and they could have theater backgrounds need i say more right um so so they're really mature about it and they do a great job of being engaged um but what i found what was super hard at the beginning was my ability to control what was happening um i like anna at the beginning of the our second gaijra campaign campaign um i felt that i was super limited in what i could could do. So like when you guys were looking through that, uh, dwarven, um, Uh, Mine Mine or whatever Mm -hmm. Like I I wasn't able to make that map So I I didn't have a connection to it And I felt like it was lame And you guys had fun and it was like your first session Or second session so like whatever (laughs) you know You had a great time but I didn't know any better (laughs) Right but like I was miserable I was like this sucks I'm a terrible DM whatever And it wasn't until I finally got Comfortable making my own combat maps That I could control like This path goes this way and there's a tree Here and this because when we're playing At the table those details are so important for me for making a fun encounter. So now that I can do that, I feel much more confident, and I think that enhances the experience for everyone. Um, I also struggled a lot with not being able to play music, which I talk about a lot, mm-hmm. um, it, which is super important for me. And now through Zoom, I've discovered a way that we can do it, and it doesn't affect the quality of anything else, and it's a lot of fun. So, yeah.
1: I mean, so both of you gave DM perspective, so I'll speak to the player perspective. Yeah, please do. I, I think there are pros and cons to both, okay? And the pros to playing virtually is A, you typically get to play more often, I think, because it's, there isn't like the, like a travel concern. And for me, I'll be honest with you, Joe, if we were playing in person right now, I we would be playing a lot less because I don't drive in the snow. So I'd just be like... <laughs> See you in April. <laughs> You're Canadian. That's when we're gonna play next. The Canadian. I, I'm not kidding drive though, in the snow. But yeah, I love it. but yeah, I I like the fact and um one of the things that. I I do to like help myself as a, as a player is I make flashcards for all the spells I'm going to use so that I can easily access them. But when I play online, it's really easy to just like pull up tabs with mm-hmm. the spells, right? Like, and so you don't waste a bunch of time at the table, like flipping through the book to try to look up like what your spell is or what you're doing or what's going on. Um, and so those, those pros are great. Uh, and Aside from, like, internet issues that we all encounter, I I haven't found that, like, the role-play interaction process is lacking. But when we briefly played in person, we did it um, as safe as we could be, socially distanced, sitting apart. But the fact that I got to see these, like, real-life maps that you were creating, these worlds that you were creating, it was it really added something to the experience and now that you have gotten more comfortable with world 20 and that we use that now in all all of the campaigns that i'm in mm-hmm. i don't feel like i'm like lacking anything in the imagination for maps or anything like that i i can totally visualize the encounters really well it is so easy to use that platform um but but to be able to see, like, your artwork in person <laughs> was mm-hmm. definitely um, something that definitely, like, enhanced the experience uh, for the brief time that we did get to play in person. Well, but outside ships. of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: and I mean, I guess, you know, I would add, because, you know, we've all kind of, I think, in this discussion tilted a bit towards, you know, the online play being having a higher utility. I, You know, you can't ignore the fact that, you know, it's actually just an opportunity to actually hang out with people, right? Yeah. Well, it's a structured right. activity, but... You know, there is something to be said for actually being around human beings uh, and the other things that sort of come with that. And I think that D&D does a fantastic job of creating a pretty good excuse to, as an adult, you know just do things that aren't career path related right
1: hang with friends in a fun way yeah
2: and i think i think that you know we've all kind of like become attuned to living in our basements collectively right um (laughs) in our bomb shelters as the world goes through shit but you know uh at some point you know a a new dawn will come right and it will be an option and i think that that would be something that i would definitely want in like my weekly or bi-weekly schedule is the opportunity to actually hang out with people that i enjoy being around and do an activity that i like
1: I, and i would just like to meet you in person one day
2: clint. <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah
0: i will say that the only other pro is when it comes to role playing you know and clint you know this from being in a campaign that where we had those moments where the group had to like come together and sort of get over some internal struggles um There's something to be said for when you have those really deep, dark, or contentious moments. To, to being to sitting around the same table. I think that there is some I
1: agree. you know,
0: dissociation that comes with just looking at a screen because it's so ingrained in 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 our daily lives. But when you're sitting at a table and you have to look across from your friend and basically tell them to fuck off in character or or like confront them about a really serious issue, it is hard to do, to do that. And we, you know, we did that in person back in like November or October, um, we had one of those interactions um, and, uh, I don't know. There's just something to be said for ooh, that, like that in-person tension yeah. and the same thing when those moments, when everyone celebrates, like the energy in the room, when you defeat a creature is just, it, it's is very it's unmatched. <laughs> yeah. It's unmatched compared to playing online. So, um, yeah,
2: I will, I will say, so my wife has decided, um, we're going to, she wants to build like a gaming table, um. What? Okay, nice. your wife went from wanting to destroy half of your book collection to now
0: wanting to build a gaming team? She never
2: wanted to destroy it. She was just kind of disappointed when she realized how much of it there was. Um, to, 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 that's that's one thing. The other thing is she doesn't know about, like, all the PDFs. So, like, let's not talk right. about that very loud. The gigs um, and gigs and gigs. The, right. the other thing is, um, yeah, the other thing is that, no, so, I mean, it's it's, like, it's an interesting craft. And so, you know, she saw something on it online. And you could just, you put like a big screen into the center mm-hmm. and you can just cast your map down. So you can just use Roll20 and all of the resources that you have online in person. Um, and so I think like that is, that is what would move me from online to in person is if I could take mm-hmm. all of the utility that I have online, all of the ability to have mm-hmm. multiple screens, all of the information that I can run with. Um, and I think part of that is that... Um, a lot of the resources that I have online or that I use um, as far as that, uh, they're pretty helpful for me in containing, I think, our, our last topic, if I can segue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so I think the, the last topic um, was, like, problem players. And I think that mm-hmm. that's, that's something you can approach from the DM perspective and then also from the, like, the, hey, this person that's sitting across from me playing is, is something, you know? So, I mean, it's a player and a DM issue. And oh, yeah. I would, I would, I would submit that generally problem players just, they come in in two varieties, right? There's, there's the type that it is like the mechanical problems. And then there's the type that's just the social stuff. And I, the social stuff is pretty much the... And I'm both. I'm apologizing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm neither. I'm the perfect player.
2: <laughs> but no, so I mean, like your, your classic social problems are like, you know, <clears throat> you know, you, you've got... the the guy that doesn't take a shower, or the Nazi, or the min-maxer, or, you know, just someone who, uh, how they're approaching the game does not match up with how everyone else is approaching the game. And that's that's how Mm -hmm. I choose to view both of these categories, right? Is that there's probably a group of people out there, you know, that you will interface with well and enjoy the game with. And so the thing is that, you know, D&D can be approached um, either as like a really strong role-playing thing or you know, in its fundamental roots, it was basically a tactics war game, and so you'll see you'll see those those two things where, and this is sort of you're starting to stray into the more mechanical issue with with problem players, is that some people are going to approach this game as you know I, I want to be like I want to maximize my character perfectly to be used as like a, a tool on this game board to defeat things, right? And that can hit a brick wall at high speed if the other people in your group want to have an interesting story. Um, Right. Yeah, and so that's how I see a lot of the problem things, right, where you've got personality conflicts or, you know, like mechanical design issues. Um, But I think both of those, I think I'm interested in learning how you guys would approach things like that. Um, One, you know, Anna, from a very new perspective, uh, and then Joe, you know, you... You slogged your way through, and I think you pretty much, you found the group of people that fit your interests and how you want to play, but I think you went through a process to get there, and so I think it'd be interesting to hear about that.
0: So, I it's funny, I still struggle with this. Um, I, I think, to contextualize the issue maybe a little more, I think some of the examples you provided are things that can be solved pre, either Either early on, and and can be a positive thing. So, like for example, if you have players who are really looking for that war game, you know where like it's it's combat all the time. It's it's a you know your characters are going to die and you're going to cycle through them. Um, may, as a DM, you have to make players known. Like you have to make it known to players that that's the game you're playing. Right. Um, so if you have a group of four wonderful role players and one guy who's like where's combat i'm gonna okay hit him with my hammer um and that's all they do <laughs> you might talk to them and say hey look you're you know you're not really fitting in with this game i think a lot of dms have had to have those discussions of some variety with their players w- what i struggle with is the player who comes and isn't engaged um or the player who comes and is like not paying attention b- distracting other players um doesn't appear to be having fun. And I've dealt with that. I've in my first campaign, I kicked someone out. I gave them two warnings and I kicked them out and Clint, that's actually how you came to be in my campaign was because we had someone else that I just was like, you're distraught. You're taking away from other people's experience. And also you're being disrespectful to me. Like, I, I don't think, you know, Anna, I think is an exception because you understand. And uh, especially cause I bitched you a lot about, A lot of the stuff that I do, but players tend not to really understand the amount of work that goes into DMing um, so that when you shit all over it as a player, wow, that 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 sucks. Like if nothing defeats me more than when a player is like, like, I'm not having fun because of you, X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, okay, what's going on here? Um, So, yeah, I had to kick a player out and it's it was awkward because they were my friend. Um, So that sort of brings in this other element. What do you do in addition, like when that person's not a rando and that person's a good friend of yours and you just kind of have to. Luckily, everyone was mature about it, but I can imagine those situations when when they're not. So, I mean, I've said this many times living in Iowa. I'm I'm from New York. I'm direct. All right. <laughs> Listen, you talk to Joey F. You're going to get a direct response. OK, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't sugarcoat stuff right so if if someone's doing something in the game that i that is that is clearly disrupting the game and I think I have a good enough sense now where um, you know what that is like I will confront that person and if need be I'll give them an ultimatum and ultimately at the end of the game I do, at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of the game at the end of the day I play this game and I do this because I like having fun and it's fun for me and I'm not gonna let one person ruin that.
1: Well, I'll start off by saying I have a very deep appreciation for how much work must mm-hmm. go into being a And it a shows. And it and, shows. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, at, from a player perspective, I guess I see it two ways. And this may be kind of the distinction that Clint was drawing, where it's the real life person that's the problem or the character that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm with you, Joe. Like if I were to play in a campaign where I'm really big into role-playing and everybody else is really big into role-playing and that person is just like, doesn't care about it and doesn't wanna uh, participate and is kind of, and it that, that makes, I feel like the rest of us feel a little bit awkward and it takes away from the game and it removes us from the like fantasy aspect of the game. I, I don't know what DMs would do. I don't know what I would do as a DM because I've never been one, but I, I know that I would find it very frustrating. Um, I I also would find it um, like there's like a learning curve to playing D&D, obviously, right? Like my when I first started playing, I literally had just like no idea what what the mechanics of this game were, right. um, how to play it. And I, and I relied on not just my DM, but my co-players to be very patient with me as I tried to figure out the steps um, but I also think that there's a lot to be said about coming to the table prepared oh yeah um yeah and so that that can make for a difficult player if they repeatedly don't come to the table prepared and they kind of just slow down the like forward movement of the story because you know they're they're like oh where did I put this or what am i looking at or right. what am I supposed to do right um so the, that that's like the real person. And then I think the other half of that is difficult players that, you know, choose to play a character that just like doesn't mesh with the rest of the people in the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and to that end, I feel like that is an easier fix because you can, like the personality can can start to shift of that character to mesh a little bit better with the rest of the people in the campaign. Um, but uh, yeah, honestly, like that that's, this is a, this is a strictly DM thing. Like what, what are you doing? You can kick them out. You can ask them to change. You can have the conversation, but I see it as you, uh, a DM and a player are in a relationship and the key to every relationship is communication. So just tell us. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, um, Joe, I know you, you talked about, you know, your direct, your direct engagement things like that. I, I tend to, you know, whenever I see someone who's disengaged or, you know, they're they're not interfacing with the group or they seem to have disparate interests, uh, you know, what I want to do is, you know, as a DM, it's not your job to, like, tell a story or anything like that. It's your job to create something in which a story can be told, right? And if somebody wants to tell this particular story or they want to do this particular thing, you know, what I want to do is I want to find a way to allow that to happen. And, you know, I have had circumstances with players where, uh, you know, someone seemed to be disengaged. They seemed to be genuinely disinterested. And the reason that they were disinterested is that the, the circumstances that it created and that I constructed, they weren't something they were interested in. And with just a few small modifications, you know, with just a broadening of what we were doing or just giving them these opportunities to do what they want or shine or just changing a few details. You know, it's, it's more like a, a honey rather than a stick thing, right? Where you can, oh, absolutely. It, and I, f- I found that that's, at least that's how I approach it, right? Oh yeah.
0: And I can, I mean, the things, and I won't reveal too much because Anna's in this campaign and doesn't know this stuff about the character, but the things you've let me do with my character in Icewind Dale, um, like I came to you with this idea. It's a character I've played before and I really want to explore him in a very high RP group. And um, you helped me find a way to make it work in, in a way that, how I originally had it presented wouldn't have worked. Had I not been able to do that, I would have maybe not even played that character. Uh, like that's mm-hmm. how much it mattered to me. So yeah, I mean, I think you're exceptionally flexible and go out of your way to, um, to, you know, to, to incorporate those aspects of, of, of engagement. Right. Right. Because that makes me so much more engaged in what's going on. Um, but again, you know, all of us are very, we're, we're great role players and we're great, if, if i do say so myself we're great players <laughs> of d d it's how do you deal with that with, with that that small percentage in every everyone every once in a while and um yeah i don't know I, I sometimes i have players who are just they're just not responsive to me as a dm and i'm like geez like i shouldn't have to try this hard you should be throwing stuff at me when when i ask for it because i'm doing so much other stuff but right. um yeah
2: yeah. So, uh, do we have, we have time to talk about cheaters? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> How many cheaters have you encountered? Yeah. So that's, it's, so here's the thing, right? So this is another one of the reasons that I enjoy online is that I do hard data tracking. Um, so, <laughs> uh, no, I do. <laughs> of course you do. so you know i have i have everybody's character sheet right so i know their probabilities for success on any particular role and (laughs) i'll just so i'll have a few of them open i just randomly pick each session and uh you know so i will i will track the roles for that session for that particular individual and then i can run it through i have uh i have spss that i use for statistical manipulation (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and and oh my god for me you know there's uh, in social sciences, it's 0.5% likelihood of non of, of this being... Causality, right, yeah. That's where you can publish. It's at 0.01. That's where I'm like, okay, at this point, I need to have a talk or I need to consider how... I need to consider why this player is engaging in this activity.
0: Right, if you're rolling nat 20s at, at a 99 99- <laughs> point nine percent rate sure yeah it's an issue the reason you know i don't cheat is because of the number of fucking terrible terrible roles, roles. I, have. I suck
2: <laughs> that's another that's another um so um when i was looking i used to teach statistics um and so i i actually break roles down into high threat and low threat roles right um where a high low threat,
0: threat that's me. yeah <laughs> a, a high threat role is
2: is one where the outcome will drastically change what will happen. And then the low threat role is one where it's like, oh, this is sort of like a role playing one, right? And what I've found like over the years of DMing is that, you know, if someone if someone like is cheating, what they'll do is they'll they'll bump up what they get in the high threat roles and they'll dump what they get in the low threat roles to try and like mask it and average it out. But you split it out, you do a two key uh, analysis and like it's clear as day. Um,
1: Whoa, have you called people out?
2: I mean, so the thing is, like, I've, I've assembled enough data, I know who's cheating in my games, and I know generally when they're cheating. It's Anna, it's totally Anna. What the hell? <laughs> the point okay. is that, like, how I deal with it, and again, like, Joe, I mean, it's uh, how you deal with it, it's, well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in knowing, but how I deal with it is when it, when I see a statistical anomaly begin to emerge, right? I try to figure out why and when it's happening, right? And what I've discovered is that it's more often new players um that do it and i think the reason that they do is that you feel like you don't know the rules or you feel like you're not at, you know adequately prepared and what you don't want to do is let everyone else down by sucking right <laughs> and it's real easy to get into this position where you know you think oh man i suck at this game right, right. and and how i'm going to fix that is changing the part that's not under my control at all right And, and so it's, it's sort of this thing where that's not, that's not, first of all, you don't suck at D and D. Right. 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 You suck at rolling dice. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's random. You suck at probability. (laughs) That is something that's completely outside of anyone's control. And so like, if I, if I get a genuine cheater, someone who's like, they've got no excuse. It's not like they're new. It's not like, you know, they've got some anxiety about letting the group down. Right. They're just being an asshole. Like I'll print out, like I will. I will go and I'll. I'll, I'll print out the uh, the data analysis. Right, if that's something that they'll be able to metabolize. And I have. I have actually ejected people on the basis of a point zero one finding. Whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I mean,
0: I've. I'm very thankful. I have not encountered this issue before. Um. And uh. I honestly don't know. I. I've certainly been suspicious. Um. And uh. But I. I trust my players currently enough to not worry about it. Um, But uh, yeah, there's a reason why at level eight, Umbra will have a plus 10 to hit and that is or at level nine, she'll have a plus 10 to hit is that is because the dice that I've chosen for her, which are very special purple sparkly dice the that I only are not roll for ever her in your favor. <laughs> the odds are not in her favor. Those dice fucking blow. And you know what? They're the dice I've chosen. And sometimes she misses. So, um, yeah, I mean, that sucks. Um, I, I'm not going to say I've never fudged a roll. Um And, uh, there are time because there are times when I've played with DMs, none of whom are here, where I'm like, this makes no fucking sense, <laughs> and like I was really frustrated. Um, and I had a conversation with them at some point, or left the game or whatever because I was like, this isn't for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you just have to trust. If you're a player out there who feels compelled to cheat, take a step back. And, and answer why, answer to yourself why you're playing this game, the ones mm. are just as narratively beautiful as the natural 20s. Right,
1: yeah, embrace increase it. the drama, yo.
2: Yeah, embrace it. No, and I think, Joe, you, you like really hit that on the head is that, so whenever I, I see that kind of a profile emerge, right, if I start to see like those things occurring, the first thing that I ask is what am I not delivering to this player that is causing them to feel that mm. need to experience, as you said, Joe, like that frustration or whatever, mm-hmm. like, always and every time the first thing that i want to look at is what is the environment i'm crafting for this person right because if they're doing something that is you know against the rules right in many cases the reason a person does that this is a criminal defense attorney talking is (laughs) is because of environmental factors you know that have put them in a position where doing that is either more rewarding or they feel they have no option to do otherwise um so that's my, my real approach. And I, as, as far as like cheating, like the real cheating, cheating, is that it doesn't really exist. What does exist is, you know, people feeling uncomfortable in the game, either because they don't feel like they know the rules, they don't want to let somebody down, or they have like a complex in other areas of their life where like, you know, this is the place where they get to be really cool and powerful. Sure. Yeah.
1: Another another pro to in-person. I guess add that in the column of information. That is video. that is true.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I you know because like I don't know if you guys have ever used the roll twenty thing, but I do not think it is random. Like it. I. That's <laughs> why I have everyone roll real dice. Roll their own. Right. <laughs> roll your own. I don't want to
0: deal with this shit. Um, talk about shitty rollers. I was playing in a game with Joe Mosier and poor Joe using roll twenty for several sessions in a row. He could not roll above
2: a ten. So. I Listen. no, I, like in our in our last Icewind Dale, like Joe just has bad luck. He almost froze to death.
0: <laughs> oh, Joe! Yeah, should, I think he's gonna become our bailiff. We should just have him on. We
1: should, yeah. He got you the gavel the and gavel. everything.
2: <laughs> yeah, because he's such a wonderful, beautiful human being. Gorgeous, right. just yeah, just sexy, voluptuous,
0: delicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Um, well. Uh, Anna, did you have anything on player cheating to, I, add?
1: I mean, I guess, you know, it's, it's like, isn't that the whole point that you just roll the dice and yeah. then see what happens in your game. Yeah,
0: Just enjoy <laughs> but, the ones. Yeah. Um, well, Clint, thank you so much for enjoying, enjoying us. I did. <laughs> enjoying thank us. you for joining <laughs> us. I almost said enjoining like, like if this podcast wasn't lawyerly oh, and nerdy <laughs> enough, thank you for joining us. Um, uh it was a pleasure and obviously you'll have to come back. We'll have to get some I'm going to set aside some really difficult questions that we get from <laughs> listeners because I know that you will dive into the rules like a huge nerd. We'll do and, an uh,
1: entire episode on statistical analysis. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. yeah.
2: I mean don't. Like <laughs> you don't want to kill your 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 listener base. Like don't do that. All, All six of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway. Um well with that Um, oh I have my gavel hold on Ah. I keep forgetting it Joe said it doesn't sound good on the podcast sorry Joe court is adjourned
1: alright well thanks Clint yeah
0: thanks Clint and we'll see everyone
1: later I'm too close to the microphone I'm gonna be super loud
0: Just a little bit
1: I'm gonna bag it away from my face There it is, now it is normal